Hello and welcome to Rocket, Accelerated Geek Conversation. I'm Simone de Rochefort, Senior Video Producer at Polygon, and I'm here with Christina Warren, Senior Cloud Advocate at Microsoft, and Brianna Wu, Executive Director of the Rebellion Pack. How are we doing? I'm feeling it. I think it's, it's, I'm thinking good show. This is my last meeting before Christmas. So <gasps> let's, let's knock it out. Let's like do a good show this week. Okay. A good one this week? This we week. have to? <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> okay. Well, Merry, Merry Christmas Eve, Eve. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to both of you, my dear friends, and also to our listeners, um, we're going to do a good show for you tonight. Uh, of course, we will be talking about the big hack. I would say this week's big hack, but it's more like this year's big hack. And then we're going to continue uh, following the story of Cyberpunk 2077's release. And I think if you have been on Twitter for one minute this past week, you know what our dessert is going to be. Um, but before we give you that delicious treat, I have to tell you about how our whole government is compromised. So the biggest espionage hack on record has happened to womp womp, mostly the United States this year, some other countries as well, mostly us. Uh, as far back as March, the IT company SolarWinds was hacked by what is likely a Russian operation. Um, that's what most of the reports I read are saying, but then some are also kind of hedging their bets and saying, we don't know yet. Uh, the hack was discovered by the cybersecurity firm FireEye and disclosed on December 9th. Uh, they they were not, of course, the only victim. Uh, Microsoft in a blog uh, is reporting that half of the victims were tech companies, 18% were government. Uh, there were also some like government contractors that made up an additional percentage. And that the government agencies infiltrated include the Department of State, Homeland Security, the Department of Commerce, the Treasury, and the National Institutes of Health. So how this happened, the attackers gained access to SolarWinds software, specifically the Orion product, before updates of that software were made available to customers. So malware was introduced, and then unsuspecting customers downloaded a corrupted version of that software, which included a hidden backdoor, giving hackers access to the victim's network. Um, so according to Washington Post reporting that I read, it was basically known that the government was vulnerable to a supply chain hack. There has been a lot of work put into making sure that government programs are protected from malware, but not necessarily a trusted entity that is then compromised. Uh, it's something that we were not equipped to detect and respond to, and yet we remained unequipped to detect and respond to it, which is always a good time during a pandemic and a period of uh, transitions of power in government. So, SolarWinds SEC filings show that the malware was in the wild from March until June, and we still do not know the full extent of who uh, was compromised. I mentioned some names just up at the top there, um, but the software, the corrupted software, may have been installed by 18,000 customers. Uh, the New York Times pointed out that doesn't mean that every single one of those 18,000 companies was like fully 100% infiltrated, but it does mean that the uh, department, the companies and government agencies that did matter to the hackers 
are likely 100% compromised because they were exposed for months and months and months. So as a quick summary to everything I said up there, <laughs> uh, it can basically be assumed that any communication between government agencies, these government agencies can be monitored by foreign agents and government data and emails can be falsified because they are totally boned. So this is a fun story that, of I mean, this is the first we are going to be talking about it. I think cybersecurity experts are saying we it will be months before we fully, fully understand the ramifications of this. And it will also be a very, very long time before it can be fixed, if it can be fixed. I mean, this is sometimes headlines are overblown when it comes to cybersecurity and particularly intelligence uh, situations. Uh, these were not. Uh, I saw one headline that called this the nuclear bomb of, uh, of cyber espionage. I think that is accurate because every single, um, every single uh, agency or government institution that has been compromised has a really dark choice to make at this point. They can either go through their line code by code and pray to God they can find uh, any like intrusion measures that might be left there because think about it. they they had they had the ability to install new software on these machines uh, it's a it's a it's a consistent it's a it's a perpetuating attack they can throw new backdoors in there so they can either go through their entire code base and pray to God they can find it or they can just burn it down and start all over neither of these things is good. So um, I think it's really, really hard to overstate this. I actually did not even read, deliberately did not read about this story until mm. we decided to do it as a topic because I knew it would just make me really, really, really angry. And it, I mean, it really is that big a deal, isn't it, Christina? No, this is this is really bad. I was saying this in our group chat and, and I'm not being flipped with this, but I think probably the last time we've seen a hack maybe of this scale was when we like you know, the Americans, like, were able to successfully hack, like, Iran's nuclear reactors um, is probably the last time we saw something kind of of this scale. And you're exactly right, Bree. Like, your ways around this are either to go through the code line by line and see if you can find out what backdoors were implemented or burn it all down. Uh, I imagine that what most places will do will be to burn it all down and try to rebuild up again. Uh, but who knows? I mean, we're, we're at this early point, but it's a really scary thing. And the scariest thing is, Although there have been some companies that they have been able to definitively say whether they were impacted by not, or, or not, there are some people that aren't because the the hackers were smart. Not only was this highly targeted in that it went after SolarWinds Orion um, platform, which is just basically the industry standard uh, for anybody who is is unfamiliar. Basically, any large company, kind of small. Uh, a, you know, company like basically it is it is like Kleenex is how I heard someone describe it of kind of like the network management system world. Like it is like the de facto standard. It's what everyone uses. So everyone uses this control panel, and um, so they targeted this specific software. They were able to go through a system update, meaning that they inserted the malware that way, so that the you know company itself didn't know that they were spreading this on and didn't know what was happening. And then they were really smart in terms of cleaning up their logs and and what uh, cleaning up, you know, any signs that they'd actually been there on the compromised systems that they then had access to. So 
even the process of figuring out who was and who wasn't impacted, it's it's not one of those easy things. Um, and and I think that does kind of, I think, ramp up for a lot of people, like this uncertainty of we know this is big, but we don't know how big, we don't know how long lasting this stuff has happened, and we don't know how long it will be for some of these companies to be able to definitively say, okay, we know we're no longer potentially at risk for people surveilling us, even as we have this conversation, um, is really, really kind of unprecedented uh, for, for this sort of thing. And it, it it's scary and it opens up a lot of questions about a lot of things. And yeah, not good. Yeah, I totally understand why you avoided reading about it, Brie, because it is one of those stories that makes me automatically feel quite nihilistic. Because, I mean, as we've said so many times on this show, because we talk about companies and organizations getting hacked a lot, it's a constant arms race. And um, it, it, it does feel always like we can may- maybe we fix this, but there's going to be something new coming down the pipe. And the tech that was used in this, it was very sophisticated. It was something that no one was ready for uh and it had not been observed in other attacks before so yay cool great great new research (laughs) great new cybersecurity research uh being enacted in the wild um well i mean for me personally this is a lot of why i ran for congress right and you know i dropped out because of covid i think i would have made a very good congresswoman this would have been the the thing I was born to help address in Washington. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you think about it, there's a lot of common sense things to do, to talk about here, right? Like as far as, you know, code updates, what's the procedure for doing code updates? Like should this kind of software even be in something like the military might touch, right? Like logistics, I think that's a very hard argument, right? Like this is, it's just the kind of a problem I wanted to help solve. And yeah, it's hard for me because emotionally I'm not in that game, right? And it's mm-hmm. what I want to help with. So I've just completely avoided this. I I, I just... You cannot say it often enough. Cybersecurity is a process. I saw a really fascinating discussion this week talking about if, you know, instead of these cybersecurity degrees, if maybe you just needed like a a certificate in cybersecurity process, like someone that was very Mm. familiar with what the processes are to you know, verify updates to to patch uh, systems to make sure, uh, you know, malware is 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 if there's malware out there that the the patches are applied, things like that. And it's just it's so clear that in the middle of so many crises in America that we've got to start taking this seriously. Is the Biden administration going to do that? I, 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 I don't know. I I really don't. And yeah, it's, I hope he will. It's an unknown. He at least this has been part of the story. He has mentioned he has made a statement about the hack um, and in particular needing whoever is responsible to be held responsible and punished for it. I believe as of uh, air as of recording time. Uh, Trump has not made any acknowledgement of right. this happening. Nope. And and in fact, uh, Steve Mnuchin, who the Department, you know, of Treasury was impacted, has basically been like, eh, nothing was, no, 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 nothing was, was done. Like it, it, it was an. Which just raises so many more questions because, like, if the the people who are in office right now are not even bothering to 
look into this, whether because of pride or incompetence, or or maybe they are looking into it and they just don't want to say it because they're embarrassed. It's just, it's not a situation that engenders trust in no. our government. No. Well, and what's bothersome to me about this is that, you know, SolarWinds is, is fundamentally, I mean, they're, they're, they do network management, but they are a security company to a large degree. Like where they sit in the stack is a very important role. And I'm not saying they're a cybersecurity company, but it's definitely a company that is not disconnected from security. And they had been warned, there's a Bloomberg report that says that a former security advisor um, at um, the IT monitoring network management company SolarWinds said he warned management of cybersecurity risks and laid out a plan to improve it that was ultimately ignored. And it goes on to to give Bloomberg this 23-page PowerPoint presentation, which I got to say, someone working in corporate America, that is the most corporate America thing I've ever <laughs> heard. A 23-page you know, PowerPoint, that is, in fact, how people have to present plans in corporate America, um, said that this was in 2017 that he recommended that company executives appoint a senior director of cybersecurity, and he told them that the survival of the company depends on an internal commitment to security. He then terminated his relationship with the company a month later because he didn't believe that leadership was taking um, things seriously or was going to make the changes that he wanted. There was also another former SolarWinds engineer who talked to Bloomberg um, that that he also, you know, tried to kind of point them towards taking things more seriously. This is all really bothersome to me that these Mm -hmm. things are now coming out. Not to say that in any way, like in some cases, I think you can say this was clearly the company's fault. The way that other than maybe some bad passwords for some of their stuff aside, I don't think that we have any proof of that at all. What I do say for, and, and I do feel like this is a very targeted attack. Like this is a state sponsored attack that is very, very highly targeted, that is going after, you know, this piece of infrastructure because it touches so many corporations, it cut, touches government entities. It is this thing that there isn't really a replacement for um, to, to a large degree. And, and I would argue if you did have a replacement, that replacement would probably have even more security holes and, and this and that. So this was highly targeted. And so I don't, I'm not yet at the point where I feel like we can say, the company is at fault here because they might not have been. It might just be the same vulnerabilities and, and issues that every single company on the planet has. This was one that was just monitored um, uh, really closely and that they decided to be incredibly smart in how they, you know, inserted in the malware and and this terrible stuff is now happening. Um, mm-hmm. I, so I don't want to like put the blame on the company, but at the same time, it is disconcerting for me when these reports come out and if as they do go through the investigation, I do think that it'll be interesting to see how much effort was really put into the company to care about these sorts of issues, because I feel like we should be requiring that of any of the companies that we are relying on for any of our network management stuff, like, or, or anything that are, is that crucial to our infrastructure. These should be things where the, the uh, topmost of mind, they should be thinking about what are they doing for their security infrastructure and what are they doing to prevent people from breaking in um, to their systems and and then, you know, basically weaponizing their systems to attack their clients. Mm-hmm. I, I don't disagree with that at all. I, 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 speaking for myself, I'm less interested in a pound of flesh over this particular right. instance. And what I'm very, you know, like Wall Street <laughs> was actually <laughs> trading up on this news because people are trying to figure out what the cybersecurity play is because it's going to be a growth industry, which is disgusting. I mean, it's beyond disgusting. And to me, the story, like, 
the the thing I'm most interested in is this is the nuclear uh, nuclear equivalent of information warfare, and are we going to take this seriously? Mm-hmm. Are we going to get real about you know, the the United States government commitment to uh, coding tools ourselves? What our 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 process is for evaluating our partners? You know how we do threat assessment. Um, you know what the what the environment is to remove threats when they are found. Are we finally going to get? I'm sorry, beat me. Serious about this because it is so far past time. The United States cannot survive as a nation if we don't have decision advantage when it comes to intelligence and military situations. And we are entering an environment where we are so inept when it comes to cybersecurity, we are not going to have decision advantage. And we've just, uh, it just blows my mind. Yeah, I think that is well said. All right, we'll keep you posted on this story as it develops. (laughs) I've been watching a lot of the morning show. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Hey, this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Pingdom. Today's internet users expect a fast web experience. No matter how good your content or how effective your marketing, they'll most likely bounce if your website is loading too slow. With real user monitoring from Pingdom, you can discover how website performance issues affect your visitors' experience so that you can take action before your business is impacted. How your visitors experience your website differs depending on the browser, device, and platform they use. So you want to identify how visitors are experiencing your website so that you can make informed optimizations and deliver a great performance to those who matter most. Real user monitoring is an event-based solution, so it is built for scalability, meaning you can monitor millions of page views without compromising the fidelity of your historical data or breaking the bank in the process. Get live visitor insights today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code ROCKET at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first invoice. Thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and RelayFM. Hey, let's talk about some cyberpunk. So oh. last, let me catch you previously on Rocket. Previously on Rocket. Cyberpunk 2077 was released by CD Projekt Red after eight years of development. Uh, reviewers were given access to, I believe, PC versions of the game and thought it was pretty dope. Then the game came out into the hands of players, not only on PC, but also on Xbox Series X, PlayStation 5, and Maybe most importantly, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Hmm. And that's where things got bad. Uh, Game broken. People mad. Uh, Lots of very nasty words thrown at people who didn't deserve vitriol. But uh, lots of nasty words thrown by me and people who did deserve vitriol. (laughs) A.K.A. the management (laughs) at CDPR. Um, Anyway. Which brings us to now. The story is ongoing. Uh, As we uh, said last week, last week where we left you, um, Cyberpunk or CD Projekt Red had said, y'all should get refunds. Ask Sony and Microsoft about that. And Sony was like, we're not giving refunds. That tune has changed. So (laughs) Sony and now Microsoft are both offering refunds. 
And Sony has gone a step further and removed Cyberpunk 2077 from the PlayStation Store, which is a pretty freaking unprecedented move for such Mm -hmm. a high-profile game, especially one with this level of hype. Along with all of that, we've got some numbers. Um, Notably that Cyberpunk sold 8 million copies uh, pre-release, and in total, like including copies sold since it was released, it sold 13 million copies which is a big old number um, and has totally recouped its costs of development, which is a surprising thing to say for a game that does have an 86 score for the PC version on Metacritic, but with console scores uh, in the 50s, according to this excellent piece in Paste from Garrett Martin. Um, so this the, the debacle is ongoing, and I think, as, as Garrett put it in his piece for Piece for Paste this week, this story really encapsulates a lot of the things that are flaws in the game industry. Um, as he, if I, if I, if I can read directly from his piece, a broken game that caters to the lowest common denominator and is suffused with toxic masculinity, whose development was so severely mismanaged that it took years of inhumane working conditions to put out an unfinished game by a release date that had already been delayed three times and whose most toxic fans were provoked to first attack journalists who pointed out legitimate problems with it. And eventually, after the magnitude of its brokenness was evident, the designers who made it. Um, so if if that doesn't summarize... A lot of what's wrong with the game industry, I don't know what does. Um, I know a lot of people do actually enjoy the content of the game, notably one Brianna Wu, whose opinions (laughs) I do respect. And Christina Warren. Oh, you've played it now too. I have it, yes. Awesome. Um, I can't because I am not around my PlayStation 5 right now. (laughs) Anyway, the point being, this is where we're at. I guess I would love to know what you two think about these latest developments. And also, if if we genuinely think that this event is going to have a long-term positive effect on the game industry or whether it's going to, I guess, be swallowed up by our ridiculously fast news cycle. Uh, I, I I want to comment on that. Before before we do that, I realize it's your friend, friend Christina. I, I, I have to push back a little bit on you saying that piece was excellently written. That piece compares the situation with cyberpunk to Hitler. No, it really uh, being, doesn't. Being, I, I, let me finish what I'm saying. Uh, being, it literally says this in the piece, being Time's Man of the Year, uh, an analogy that I feel was completely overblown. I, I felt like the piece was beyond hyperbolic and i just i don't share that opinion and a lot of game developers i know also don't share that opinion but there that is um okay the only thing i'm gonna push back on that is sure sure, i I think it's fair read it in context he said that you know Mm -hmm. it's not as an award or an alkylade but it's the same warning and admonishment as, as the rest of the world and no we are in no way comparing a bad game to history's greatest monster but if you're looking for an example of when an award isn't really an award time kind of set the standard back in 1938 if you do that, and then the tweet that they chose to promote this look, up, they I'm, I'm not defending the tweet. I'm just saying. I, I don't. I just, I'm just saying. Let, I'm just saying. Let's not. I'm just saying. Let's not like discount a whole thing into a tweet that, like the the the, the publication chose to send. Which I don't agree with the tweet. I'm just saying. Like I, I don't feel like it's it's equally fair to say this analogy, which I wouldn't have made the analogy, 
it's also on its face, like it needs the proper context. That's all I'm saying. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to like diminish it to yeah. just being the I tweet the itself. Piece, I read the piece. I hear what you're saying. I don't agree. I think if your job is to communicate with the public, that was a poor analogy to use. That's aside. That's that piece is not the story this week. It's cyberpunk. Uh, just talking about the magnitude of this, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It wasn't like PlayStation was the first to pull it, yeah. but then Xbox pulled it. And Best Buy. I don't Buy, think Xbox pulled it. Did they not? Okay, no, they, I saw they never a tweet it. saying. And I thought I also saw that uh, Best Buy was accepting in store refunds for physical copies. Is that correct? I believe they are. Uh, let me, yeah. why don't you finish making your point and I will double check that. Sure. The point is like that is beyond unprecedented yes. in our industry's history. Um, you, you have situations like Arkham Knight where they pulled it temporarily, uh, like voluntarily. I think if you read behind the lines of this story, it's it's very clear t- to me that this was not really a mutual decision. No, and, not, not at all. And I almost think it's worse that they ended up profitable because of the pre-sales because it it's just going to encourage this from happening again. So I have to tell you, Christina, all week as I've been reading the fallout from PSN, I felt guilty about last week's show because I, I don't think I was defending it. I felt like I was giving a benefit of the doubt that mm-hmm. as the week unfolded, they didn't I deserve. Am, I am less and less comfortable having given. So I wanted to own up to that. Yeah, no. And I I mean, I I certainly, I was trying to kind of cross the middle line, but I I was angry. I mean, the only thing I I said when I saw that Sony pulled it, and to my knowledge, it was never pulled from the Xbox store. I think that they have been doing refunds and uh, Microsoft, which yes, disclosure, I work for, but no, I have no insight into any of this. Um, didn't get mad the way that Sony got, but it was, and I made this point last week where I said it was really clear to me that they had not communicated with their partners about this refund thing. It seemed to me like that was just like a a CYA policy where they were like, okay, we hope you don't return it, but we're going to go ahead and say you can so we can get people to shut up and we can just go back to counting our millions. And you got to talk to your partners first. They clearly didn't. And Sony was pissed understandably so to kind of be thrown under the bus and, and have to start doing something that they historically don't do. And so Sony's response to that is to say, okay, you want refunds? Fine. We'll refund the game. Uh, but guess what? We're also removing it from digital distribution, which is huge. To, to your mm-hmm. point, Bree, you know, like Arkham did it, you know, voluntarily, but I can't remember, this is most certainly not voluntarily. And I can't remember anything we've ever seen a game of this magnitude happen this way. And it, the 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 real like kicker here is that um, I haven't played it on PS5. Bree, you have, and you say it's it's you know playable, like it crashes, but it's it's not like it's an unplayable mess. I, I would say it's borderline unplayable. It's crashed on me at least fifty or sixty times, and even with the hot fixes, it crashed four sure. times today. But, 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 but what I mean is that it's not yeah. one of those things where it's buggy, and and that is I'm not defending the bugs, but it is playable in the sense that it has a consistent frame rate and the graphics are decent. I think most of the reasons that people are complaining on Xbox One and PlayStation Four is not the bugginess, but the fact that it runs at, you know, 20 frames a second and looks like 
garbage and is not the game that they were sold. And yeah, like the low frame rate is making people nauseous, basically. Right. It, well, and it's a bait and switch. Like, like let's, let's be very real. It is a 100% bait and switch from CD Projekt Red to say this is a game that you can play on your existing consoles and then to deliver something that is frankly not a defensible deliverable at all. And, and that as we discussed mm-hmm. last week, it seems like they didn't bother to do the proper testing for that at all. So I think that... Um, the problem, though, is that you now have a game which might not be, you know, might be in a buggy state and might not be in a great state, but you do have, you know, people who are getting PlayStation 5s for the holidays who can't even buy the game, right? Mm. It's removed from distribution. Uh, and and I think that, like, I, I can't be mad at Sony's decision, but that's going to put CD Projekt Red in a really difficult position, which is how do you ever get gamers to trust your game again so that when you do have these maybe 1.5 version patches or you do this other stuff that they can say okay now it's finally good enough right like how do you win that trust back i don't know how you do this is the thing i'm so peeved about and i want to briefly uh, update you yes best buy was refunding copies on ps4 and xbox one until december 21st um and gamestop is also reportedly accepting re- or returns of ps4 and xbox one copies even if it's an opened box, uh, which is not something, again, like totally unprecedented. They don't do. Right. Um, but yeah, to your point, it, it is just infuriating. And I know I mentioned last week, like this is a, a company that despite its missteps had so much trust and people put so much faith in them. Um, and that's completely burned to the ground. And I also just feel so, so frustrated on behalf of the developers who made this game, who worked for so long on it. To see it enter the world in, yep. like, if somebody, <laughs> if I were writing a rough draft of a story or may, I had a rough draft, like the first cut of a video, and somebody published that, I would be so upset. And, yeah. like, I'm not likening this to a first draft, but to have no, that. No, well, work, I was going like, to say that they had eight years. Like, yeah. that's the one thing we have to push back on a little bit. Like, I'm, I'm in no way trying to say that I don't have immense sympathy for the designers and developers and programmers and artists who worked on the game, because I do. But we do have to also acknowledge that this is an eight-year-long process and that they moved dates three times. But I think if it takes you eight years to make a game, it's not like they're not twiddling their thumbs being like, gosh, we don't know how to code. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying, though, is that when you have this long, like, the game has to come out. It can't be yeah. an perpetual thing. Like, you have to have a due date. I'm sorry what you do. And they missed their, their due date three times in 2020. Mm-hmm. They, we already discussed last week that they lost an enormous amount of money with all this high-end stuff that they had planned when they missed the June launch. Like, they they blew it on a new number of occasions. And I still go back to this was a, That's a, a management product. and a scope yeah. problem, in Agreed. my opinion. Agreed. I, I agree with you. And I'm, so I'm, I'm not coming down on the, on the designers and the developers, but I'm also just saying, like, Frankly, if you put this much work into it, it is a management error, like 1,000%. But it also, I would hope that at this stage in the game, regardless of any of those other things, that it wouldn't be like, you wouldn't feel like your first draft was out, right? Yeah, like I would hope that yeah they, that's a good point. <laughs> like, I would hope that if I put that much time into something, that I wouldn't feel like my first draft is out. I, I feel like the PC version, which, you know, is... Is performs better, you know, from, from what I understand, especially on the equivalent hardware, you know, that's where they are putting a lot of their effort in. And, and that is people are, are, are liking more. But the trust thing, I think that's the real the real like thing for me is that you're right. Like this is a company that had so much trust 
But this is proof that you can lose it in a second and gaining it back is going to be really, really hard, even for a company like this that, you know, all of their public, uh, you're going to have to bleep me, you know, aside, I think you can make the argument they did it completely the wrong way, but they were making the acknowledgement of, okay, we'll do refunds because they were trying to be customer centric. What they didn't realize was you have to, you have to talk to your partners first. You have Mm -hmm. to talk to your retail partners and, and Sony and Microsoft first. You can't just go rogue because you're not more important than Sony to Sony, right? Like Sony's not going to choose, you know, you over them. There's just not, like they don't care. I was, you know, and this comes back to my, I don't want to say mea culpa, but uh, I feel so guilty about last week because the Times ran a story on this and, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a really good story and CD Projekt Red just chose their press team their U.S. press team made the decision to not answer or communicate with the Times at all. That mm-hmm. same marketing department that was willing to give the benefit of the doubt to last week saying, oh, Christina, they're good people. I read that piece and I'm just apoplectic that they're just making the decision to just say F you to the press asking utterly reasonable Absolutely. questions. Mm-hmm. Mike is a reasonable guy. Right? He's not going to, if there's another side to that story, I think you can trust him to tell it. The Uber book was, I felt, pretty fair from the outside about what was great about that company and where it went, had missteps. And I just, I, I really agree so much with what you're saying. Like, they are not going to be able to just throw in some free DLC and some Mm -mm. in-world creds (laughs) and and make their player base happy. I mean, this is, I thought Mass Effect Andromeda like really hurt uh, Bioware as a company. I don't think that hurt it as much as this is going to hurt them. And I I just, it's the arrogance I can't get past. Yeah, and it's disappointing too because again, like this is... um, not a bad game. Like it's got bugs and it has problems, but it has potential. And what, what scares me to be honest, and this really scares me for the normal like designer developer, like engineer who worked on this project is that if this sort of thing, if they can't get this turned around at some point, then the momentum is going to be gone. And you could, I could very easily see a CD project Red saying, okay, we're going to cut our losses and we're just not going to worry about trying to put out a good version of this again. And so we're not going to worry, you know what I mean? So we're not going to put in the effort of of issuing the patches and of doing the next gen version and of making this playable. (laughs) Right, exactly. We're just basically going to be like, okay, our bad, whatever. We're going to mulligan this and, and do what um, you know, you would do at a major picture at a, at a major motion picture studio, and okay, we released Ishtar, and it might take down the studio, but that's it. We're we're not going to put in you know time to try to make the the video release better or whatever. That to me would be even worse because at least now you have an opportunity that if more time can go into it and if they can like refine some things where you have a game that is at its core playable and could be a good experience for people. Like you can't get past the the launch disaster and all of that stuff, but it could turn into something. Like that's what makes games a unique medium over movies mm-hmm. or, or albums is that they don't live in that one moment in time, especially now. They can evolve and get and get better and prove and in some cases you know get worse but but they can they live beyond just that moment of when it goes gold on your your initial release that's a cool thing about games today and i i do worry is like if this continues 
CD Projekt Red could just be like, yeah, we're just going to write this all off um, as a loss. And then all that work that you've put into, that you've spent eight years of your life working on, is for something that's for naught and that no one gets to see what your vision of it is. And that, to me, would be the the worst thing. Do you two think that other companies are are looking at what happened to CDPR and taking lessons from that in regards to, I guess, marketing and crunch and relationships with consumers? Or do you think that this is so, so bad that it's just going to be like, well, dang, that could never happen to us because it's so unbelievably bad? Um, I think this makes crunch worse. I'm going to be yeah. totally I'm going to be totally honest and say that I think that that this is not in any way going to be better for crunch. I think this makes crunch worse. I think that this is one of those things that if you're going to take any lesson from this, if you're a big studio, A I do think that some of them would say this would never happen to us even though of course almost every studio has their own examples of games going over budget and over time and having, you know, problematic launches. Um but I think that you would look at this and you would go, "Okay, well, we're not going to invest that much time in something again." There's we, you know what I mean? Like that would be, that would be my takeaway if, if I were being like not taking the proper things, but if you were just looking at it, like as a manager, you could be like, yeah, okay. So we're not going to have eight year development cycles. So that means that crunch is going to get worse because we would rather know and get it out there and, and make sure that it's completed in whatever form it is. So we can move on to something else rather than investing so much of our resources wrapped up in this one thing for it to come out and still not be done and still have all these problems. So mm. if anything, I, I do honestly fear that this is the sort of thing that would make crunch worse. I wish I agree with you, Christina, but I uh, vehemently agree with you. Um, you know, Simone, uh, I, I had not heard the pro I had heard the profitability breakdown of this, of this game. I had not heard the breakdown as far as post orders and pre orders. And when I heard that my heart just sank because I know exactly what the industry is going to do because of this. They're going to continue emphasizing this pre-order system yep. that, mm. that makes you buy the game before reviewers get their hands on it. Yep. And I just think that's the worst thing for the industry. I think regarding crunch, if anything, it's going to go the opposite way. It's going to be like, yep. come on, we can't have a CD Projekt Red situation. We got to get what it out there. What are you doing? Come on, get it out there. Work work nights, work weekends. Come on, come on, QA team, get it done. Uh, we're going to pay you less. I, <laughs> I just, I think, I think it's a, it's a perpetual nightmare. And I, yeah. I, I I am I, the one thing I think that could save this situation is the lawsuits, the investor lawsuits. And if a private lawsuit can make it more expensive to do the wrong thing than the right thing in this situation, maybe maybe that will get their attention. But barring that, I I just think it's going to exacerbate the worst tendencies. Yeah, there was an interesting piece. I disagreed with with a lot of it, but but it was certainly not a um, completely wrong. Um, in that uh, on Defector that they wrote about, um, uh, and it was and, and you know the, the 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 Albert's former colleagues kind of got mad at him too. Defector for people who aren't familiar is basically the reborn Deadspin, and um, Albert uh, wrote a, a piece that I didn't agree with all of it. I, I think that he missed some big things, but the headline is, at least now you know which video game reviewers are sellout clowns. And he was talking about the 
various NDAs and other agreements and um, stuff that that CD Projekt Red put on reviewers. And I'm not going to um, completely agree with Albert because I do think that he misses some stuff. Like the big video game sites don't really have much of a choice. Like they're trade publications primarily, right? Like that's, it, it's not a hard news publication the same way that something else is. In many ways, it's a trade publication and you need to have access to the latest big games. And so that means agreeing to the NDAs. That said, I, I will say that the NDA agreement that C Project Red put on reviewers for this game struck me as being like patently ridiculous. Like a, if you broke certain things, you'd be responsible for up to thirty thousand dollars per, you know, breakage. Which I've signed a lot of, you know, um, uh, agreements and embargoes in my day. I don't think I've ever seen one that had that type of dollar figure attached ever, including Nintendo stuff. I've never seen anything like that. And the one that really got me was that you couldn't use any of your own original gameplay in the review video. Like you had to use gameplay provided by them. That's a massive red flag. And I'm I'm not holding the reviewers accountable for that because they're not making those decisions. But I do think that what I hope comes out of this is that publications maybe get a little bit of a backbone and realize, hey, we have more of a position of power here than we think we do. And when a publisher is putting these sorts of onerous terms on us to say, we can't play the console versions. We can't use our own captured gameplay footage. We can't, um, you know, ask questions about this or that. We have to adhere to these things. And if we don't, they're going to fine us. I'm not saying that everyone should should is in a position to be like, okay, well, then we won't co- cover the game. But maybe seeing what happens here, they can have a little more of a backbone and push back and be like, hey, we're happy to agree to an embargo. We absolutely will not agree to only using your captured gameplay footage in our review because that is unacceptable. Because to me, I feel like it is. And I feel like for consumers, especially when pre-orders are becoming, and I agree with you, Bree, it's going to go into even more pre-order push, then you have to have something you can give people beyond just like the the sanctioned you know footage from the publisher. That's not a real experience that's going to be indicative of what the consumer can expect. That's not a fair thing. That's not fair for anyone. Mm-hmm. Before we move on, Simone, I mean, this is this is your field, like this is your professional expertise. I I just wanted to hear more about what you thought about all this this week. Sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like we we've really said it all, and I'm putting a link to a Wired piece about the NDA uh, from mm-hmm. Celia yes, because from Cecilia. I, I feel like yeah, the defector good. piece really punched in a direction that I don't appreciate. Obviously, Agre- I am agreed. a member of the games press. Um, no, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I think I think you said it well that like it it makes a point, but it's it has some other points that are well, less he misses, than totally. to me. Right. No, and I agree with that. I mean, the only reason I even mention it is because I do worry that that will also become part of the conversation. And I don't want it to turn into that where people blame the games press because I don't blame the games press for this. Mm-hmm. Although I do yeah, wish... this is not the games no, it is press not. fault. <laughs> but I, I, I will say, I do wish that given, because this has happened slowly over time, but I do, I, I do hope that this can maybe be an example where the games press can take assessment and go, you know what? The things that you ask from us are not acceptable. And if you're not going to provide... Yeah, and in in no other industry do creators, and I I shouldn't say creators, companies who are making products in no other industry, (laughs) entertainment industry, I guess I should mention, are are the press subject to these absurd, absurd demands. Right. Um, It's really, really very 
very strange. Uh, there's a weird power imbalance. Between- there is, and 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 I think the reason they are is because there's not pushback, right? It, yeah, it's been yeah. this. It's been the symbiotic sicko, like it's been the symbiotic unhealthy relationship for a long time. But it happens because you allow it to happen. You you see it to a certain extent with um uh like you know product reviews. Company will give you a, a product review, and they might say certain things that you can or can't do, and you have dates. But I was talking about this with someone else. They're like, you know, Apple makes you sign an agreement. I was like, yeah, they sure do. But Apple also would never tell me you can't take photos with this and publish them. And if they, and if and Apple came to me and said, the only way you can, only photos you can publish are photos we took, then I would tell Apple, thank you very much for your product. I have no interest in it. I'm not reviewing it, mm-hmm. right? Like to yeah. me, that would be a line where I'd be like, I don't care. I will buy this myself. I'm not going to only use it in this way. So yeah, I think... This is a unique thing that I can't think of anything else where you're told the only, you know, video footage you can use belongs to us, belongs to them. Yeah, and I, I think as part of that conversation, it's important that often it's the publisher who will give you code for a specific system, and that's yep. what we saw in this case where I, exactly. I was not uh, a reviewer for Cyberpunk. I did not sign any NDA. I didn't get code, so I, I don't. I haven't right. actually interacted with it myself, but I do know that. Under no circumstances did they offer code no, for they PS4 didn't. or Xbox One reviews. And the, most of the reviews mentioned that. Most of them were very explicit, yeah. saying we were only given this, which I yeah. appreciate. But I feel like, you know, um, and, and some of them were even explicit about what game footage could be used. But I just yeah, feel like... I, I think my larger point is that, you know, a, a movie company is not going to say you can only watch our film on your Apple iPad <laughs> for, right. like, some reason, because of the screen resolution or whatever. Like... Mm-hmm. No, in there, there's just not restrictions like that, right? I feel I feel pretty strongly that the video game industry has the video game press that we, the player base, deserves, and I mean that across the board. Like the, I I didn't like this paste piece very much. I think we deserve that piece that that level of discourse. I think the the angry. Uh, YouTube channels of, of of screaming white guys that holler from the skies about every perceived injustice and are not smart enough to work in professional game development. I think we deserve those people. I think, and I think the reason that that Simone, the situation you're talking about exists, is because the players demand that they're not going to stand by the journalists, the journalism um, outfits, mm-hmm. and say. You know what? If you're going to choose to not take that and to just wait to review this until launch, we're going to watch that and really stand and support you. I I don't think that's the average player base of the industry. Polygon uh, readers accepted, obviously, um, and I think I think we deserve what we and, have. Yeah, I think there's so much historical precedent for it because in the early days of game publications, that was all. It was all trade magazines. It was all like fan level reporting. It wasn't, mm-hmm. it, it was repeating, it was hype and it was repeating what people were told. I, I'm talking like way, way back when. Yeah. Um, and I think the the player base in many ways, for some reason, is still not conditioned to no, mistrust what the companies are telling them. No, they're nope. not because they're fans first. And, yeah. and um, there's a much longer discussion I want to have at some point about how I feel like um, uh, fandom um, has uh, has gone too far and has, has failed creators in a lot of ways, but that's yep. that's for a discussion for another time, but, but this is something I've been thinking a lot about. But yeah, I agree with that. I will say, though, I am hopeful that maybe examples like this can maybe convince some of those fans who take the companies at their word, 
you only have to be burned a couple of times before that mistrust sits in. Mm-hmm. And I think that even the biggest Project Red fanboys, if you bought that game and you're a huge fan and you paid your $70 and you bought it for PlayStation 4 or Xbox One and you got the experience that you got, or even if you have it for a next-gen system and it's you have to, you know, um, it crashes 50 or 60 times when you have this negative experience and it's taken this thing that you will look forward to for years and it's turned it into this, that's not something that next time CD Projekt Red comes out with something, you're not going to be like in the hole with them ready to go to war mm-hmm. um, when when they're coming out again. Like, that's the thing. Like, ultimately, like when you've been burned, you're not going to come out with them again. I mean, then Nintendo can get away with so much of the stuff that Nintendo does because they don't mess up very often. Like, that's mm-hmm. the thing. Like, Nintendo is abusive in a lot of ways, but it, but they can get away with it. Because you have a good experience. A, pour one out for the the subset of the population that pre-ordered Mass Effect Andromeda and uh, Cyberpunk 2077, because they're there. Yep. You guys out. are we out of the curve. You. We love Secondly, you. Secondly, what I would hope to see would be those people coming out of the going to war for the company's camp and coming, ideally, probably not going to happen, to a nice middle ground where yep, they remain level-headed. <laughs> And don't yell at either end of the the publication spectrum, either yeah, the maybe, publishers maybe just or enjoy the journalists. The games. And maybe just, just enjoy cool. the games. Like you don't have yeah. to carry water for billionaire corporations or for God, like immediate. Like really... you don't have to be fan. Like you don't have to. You don't have to do their work for them. Like honestly, you're not on yeah, their payroll. They, have they don't love PR you. teams. Anyway, we have to move on. Yeah. It's oh. time for dessert. Oh, <laughs> oh my God! So oh, this is the dessert. This is the dessert. It is the dessert of the year. Elle magazine on Sunday night decided to really just light a fire on Twitter by dropping again on a Sunday. They ruined Ben Smith's big media moment. He always has the best media story Monday, Sunday nights. And and even oh, he admitted I shouldn't have published <laughs> this week. <laughs> what did he publish? Wait, uh, we're not going to get into that. Hang on. It's not it's nothing so, that interesting to be honest. This is the this is the story. Yeah, and that's why he shouldn't have bothered. Sorry, Ben. Um, Stephanie Clifford over at L published a piece that I, for one, did not see coming about no. a former Bloomberg reporter, a uh, crime reporter, who threw away her entire life, marriage, job, etc., cetera, uh, to date, question mark, huge quotation marks, uh-huh. Martin Shkreli. The, uh, oh. the guy, the you know, the bad guy who raised... Um, the prices of uh, the drug prices, 5,000% um, and bought a Wu-Tang album that he will never let anyone listen to for $2 million, got convicted of fraud in 2017. The guy who's in prison now um, who smirked during like a hearing about why, why'd you raise those life-saving drug prices 5,000% and he just looked I like a, a, a jerk. Um, she fell in love with him, I guess, and this piece is truly wild. And Did you I, read the Q and A afterwards? And there's a Q and A, which frankly should not have been published. Uh, Christina, can you can you briefly uh, take us through some bullet points of this story? Yeah. Okay. So, um, this is like basically like shorthand for how to blow up your life in like five easy steps. And 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 notice they blow up, not ruined. She's gonna be fine. She's you know, we'll talk more about that when we get through it, but how how to blow up your life. So uh, number one, 
get too close to a source. Um, so she and, and Martin developed a relationship slash friendship while she was working at Bloomberg. She took some time off to do book leave. When she came back, she wasn't writing about him, but Bloomberg was like, you're tweeting too much about him and it's making us uncomfortable, so you need to quit your job. And so she was like, cool, I'm going to quit my job. So then she decides to, she's visiting Martin in prison at this point. And, um, oh, oh, back up. So she was covering him, somehow became friends with him while she was still covering him. Her emails to him were actually used in sentencing, although her name was redacted from it. And his, like, blasé kind of take on, this is when he was was in jail before he was sentenced. And this was, you'll recall, he was put in jail because of um, claims that he made about how he wanted pieces of Hillary Clinton's hair. And that was deemed as a threat. And so he <sighs> was, you know he was out on bail and they were like, we are revoking your bail and you are in jail now. Ha ha. So he sent emails to her using the prison email system that his own lawyers are like, yeah, those emails probably got him two extra yet, two extra years on his sentence. So she was already part of the story that way. Then she, um, you know, quits her job is visiting him and confesses to him. I love you, or I'm in love with you. And he's like, I love you too. And then she's like, can I kiss you? And he's like, sure. Um, She then gets divorced from her husband. So she she gets divorced and decides to just go all in on prison reform and being all about Screlly. And um, the best part is, I guess the highlight is, they haven't seen each other in quite some time. And when he found out that she was going to be writing this story, he cut off all contact and, oh, oh, she froze her eggs. That's another thing I need to add into because oh. he's going to be in jail for so long. She froze her eggs and they were talking about how they could, you know, maybe have <sighs> children together. Oh. So then, then um, you know, she's doing all this stuff for him. She was even listed as his fiance or life partner in his, um, like, request for clemency to get out early because of COVID, which didn't go through. But when he found out that she was going to be writing this story or participating in this story, he cut her off. He hasn't talked to her. And his response um, when, you know, Elle reached out to him was, I wish her well in her future endeavors. And that's basically it. So she threw her life away, her career away, uh, you know, marriage. Look, uh, maybe she was looking for a way to get out or whatever. I'm not going to speak on that. But she basically, like, blew her life up um, for a guy that she's kissed. Uh, That's it. And it and, smelled like chicken wings. Yeah, it smelled like chicken wings him. when she kissed him in yep. in in the um in the jail. She's kissed. She hasn't seen him in person in almost a year. Who has basically refused to talk to her and wants nothing to do with her. Wow. Truly, the end of that, where like she finds out from the reporter saying, "Hey, we we sought comment from Martin. Here's what he yep. said," and that's the moment when she basically found out, like, "Gosh, he's breaking up with me, isn't he?" Uh-huh. That. That's what sent me over the edge because I was I was yep. pretty peeved <laughs> for a few reasons and obviously invested and complicit, et cetera, et cetera. You hate to see a story where a woman blows up her life and gets together with such a horrible person that uh-huh. doesn't end with her breaking up with him. Right. The fact, and and mm. it's so predictable that that he did this because he's so obviously a manipulative person. Yes. And she knew it. Like, she had professors. She was in this graduate program at Columbia, okay? Like, like very, very, very good graduate program, right? Like, top, like, graduate, like, journalism program in the country. She's in this program. And one of her professors, because she wrote an essay about him, was like, 
maybe don't get too close to him because he really seems like he's a manipulator and I I worry about you in this. Like, may, may, maybe chill out. Like, the warning hmm. signs were all there. This is a smart woman. Like, she then did the q and I mean, the reason I feel comfortable talking about this, a lot of people have been, like, taken immediately aside. Oh, there's clearly something mentally wrong with her. She's a victim of what? abuse. She's a victim of this or that. What? Look, you know what? A, I'm not a doctor. I'm not, and and you can't diagnose people through your writing anyway. I'm not a doctor. She seems completely of sound mind and body. She did a Q&A. She's continuing to tweet and engage. So if she's going to come out here like this and and all of her, like all the things she's done are insane to me, but also don't strike me as being like problematically insane. So I'm just going to be like, you've made these choices yeah. and I'm going to engage with them and I'm going to like have opinions and feelings and be like, Girl, what the hell? Like, I'm gonna. Enjoy, I think I fall on the side the of. Drama. I think she wants to sell that book because the thread yeah. of it yeah. has been yeah. like she starts writing a book about him because she's the person who has more access to him than anyone, right? And nobody wants it because what the story she wants to tell is one is where he's, he's not a complete jerk ass. Um, it's something that is a little more humanizing of him, and all the publishers are like. Not, no, we don't want it. We don't care. Well, they're like, we don't care about all the good things he's done. Like, this is a gross guy. Let's make it a villain. And like, she doesn't want to villainize him in the slightest. Yeah. Like, she just wants to, like, laud him as this great person. And so now, of course, there is renewed interest in, mm-hmm. in her work. Um, right. So, in a way, we have all been played. However, oh, absolutely. good story. I, I, I don't care. <laughs> I, like, I really I, agree I, with you, though, Christina. I mean, I, I struggle with this because she's an adult woman. And she can make her own decisions, right? Like she can, she can, she can date some skeezy guy in prison and it's, it's not, but she's also choosing to participate in this interview that she had to know was going to have this effect. I mean, she's inviting And she's scrutiny. a fan of it. She right. loves, like, she's talking right. in the Q and a about how like, this is great. I'm so glad I got my story out there. She tweeted the L story, the original one and was like, yes, she does. Yes, finally. Yay. And, and she's in the comments interacting yes. with people. But I guess just for me personally, and maybe this is me being so open-minded that my brain is falling out of my head. <laughs> I feel like I feel like she has suffered the appropriate professional uh, consequences for mm-hmm. falling in love with uh, one of her subjects and not being objective. She, her, in, her editors uh, intervened at Bloomberg. They said, "We don't want you on this beat anymore." Yep. She said, "Fine," and then she, uh, she, she left that job. I think she would have a very hard time getting another job at a place of that statute moving Agreed. forward. That is the that is the appropriate professional outcome for someone that had a, a very big breach of ethics. Yeah, I just have to say, I don't know how great that program that she's in is, uh, Christina, because then she's in the fracking New York Times trying to throw her J school under the bus saying there's nothing happening in J school. It tells you not to fall in love with your subjects. I went to J school. I feel like this was covered. Anyway, <laughs> But but I feel like she's getting the professional. She's getting the appropriate amount of professional blowback. So that yeah. leaves personal. Like, do I, Brianna Wu, have a personal interest in declaring her either a victim or a villain here? I I just don't feel a real need to label it one mm-hmm. or the other. But I'm, I'm just. It's like I'm watching a, a car accident right. on the side of the road. No. It's so horrific what she's done with her life. It's just Agreed. like, girl, good luck with that. Like, wishing you the best. That's a lot. 
Yeah, no, I mean, the, the thing is, is that I'm not going to like call her a victim or a villain. I'm, I'm, I don't have enough knowledge on that. I'm, I'm, it's not my place to do that. What I am saying is that I don't feel bad about like getting entertainment or joy out of this because right. to my point, like you put this out there, like you were the one who sought out telling this story. You agreed to this Q&A. You've chosen to engage in the comments. This isn't something that someone found through a public records request, which they could have, where they could have found the unredacted emails and seen her name and realized, oh, you know what? She was a reporter who covered his story and broke a lot of news. What was going on there, right? Like um, the, the the woman who wrote the piece for Elle, you know, sat next to her at, they didn't work together, but they worked out of the courts um, for, for different publications and had a feeling, hey, maybe this was closer than it was, but she didn't know anything and she didn't pursue that story because, you know, like people have personal decorum and whatnot. But like she chose to make this public. So by her choosing to make this public, I'm choosing to engage with this the exact same way I engage with the people on, um, um, you know, uh, uh, Love After Lockup, which is what this reminds me of. <laughs> because Love After Lockup is a great show if everyone hasn't watched it. Uh, 90 Day Fiance is is what everyone's really into now, which I get. It's amazing. But Love After Lockup is really great. And there are some really good threads. And, like, there's this one story that's gone on for, like, years now where there's this guy who's in jail. And he's got this girl on the outside who's his fiance, And she's a virgin, y'all. Like, she's a virgin. She's from the South. But her family has some money. And she knows he's in jail. But, like, she believes in him. He's married and has a baby <gasps> with someone oh, else at the same time. Right? Which she doesn't know about. Then when she does finally find this stuff out, like, it's just, it's a mess. Anyway, like, all I'm saying is I'm engaging with this the same way I engage with that. The one difference is, and you're right, I think that she suffered the appropriate, like, professional, you know, um, you know consequences. Yeah. But, but... uh a friend of mine um, said, because I, I was I was trying to kind of decide, like, what happens to her? Does she, like, commit herself to something else happen? They're like, no, she's fine. She, you know, blew up her life, but she didn't ruin her life in, like, a way that is actually going to ruin her life. She did, like, the white woman way of, like, you know, like, deterring her life, but she didn't actually ruin anything. And, and What I, she I, did I, was make really good fodder for a series that is literally being pitched right now. I can feel it in the air. Oh, completely. It, completely. I mean, the, the interesting thing, though, is I look at that. I'm like, no, I think Catherine is right. I think that what she what she's done is, you know, she's lucky that she's in a position where she can come back from this and we can all talk about it. And I'll tell you this, too. I will watch the hell out of whatever TV show comes out of this, whether she gets Same. paid for it or not. I hope yep. she can get paid for it. Part of me thinks people could just go around her and not pay her, which would be tragic. But I, I hope she does get paid because I would watch the hell out of like the show of, I mean, Martin Screlly, you guys. Like, look, there are of some all people, the people that, not like, in the look, headline yeah. I expected to because see. Here's the thing I can see that there are certain like people who are criminals who are charismatic, and I can see how people can be sucked into their charm vortex. And I'm like, all right, I don't think that would happen to me, but I can see how it would happen. But him, like yeah. that guy, and I hadn't read the whole article, so I just assumed that they'd like hooked up before, you know, they went into jail. And I would, I would tweet something like, "There's no way the dick was that good." You know, it wasn't. And then I read it, and I was like, "They, she never even got the dick." Like, which to me is just even the most mind blowing part. Like, she's kissed him. She kissed chicken him. Wings, and it smelled like chicken and she wings. Smelled like chicken I wings. read that. I read that. I swear. I'm like, I'm like, did your soul just kind of leave your body for a moment? (laughs) I had to put in a phylactery like dragon age and then like, go get it later. 
It was I have sad. a final thought, which is I, I do have to mention they did do a high fashion photo shoot or really a medium oh, fashion God, photo medium. shoot for this. The, the dress was and like $30, but it's cute. I've been looking up, yeah, dresses from Berger Christensen and the vampire's wife. Um, these dresses were made for me, you guys. I know. I was thinking I'm that. The dresses are great, actually. I don't think she pulled it off. I think no. you would pull that off, actually. You would pull it off. You. No, no, no. She I didn't would. really. Yeah, no. Um, I I think she felt like uncomfortable. Like I, you would pull the the hell you would pull those dresses off really well. Yeah, this is one of those weird things where they gave like they took her to Union Square. I could like tell exactly where the photos were done. I was like, <laughs> I know exactly where you took these photographs. Um, and um, you know, I don't know if she was comfortable, but you would look great in them. So I, I highly think that you should you should buy that. And. And I certainly don't begrudge her being photographed, you know, any way they want to do it. But I also felt oh, like... Oh, yeah, I wouldn't say no to that. I... <laughs> no, I, I just, I just, I felt, I felt bad for her because I was like, girl, you should just embrace this. Like, yeah. just have yeah, some glee about it. there was one thing it. she should have pushed back on it was maybe how they were styling her. I agree. I, I agree with that. The I styling, the makeup do, was do not good. Do we have time to talk about the, the, the buttless pajamas? That we do. The other part we of do. the story? Sure, we go do. for it. Okay, so up. let me summarize it super quickly. So as she read this, this uh, article, everyone, as they read this article, as if the article is not enough, but there's this ad that goes along with it of this woman, and she's like, ah, and, and like, cleavage and then she flips around and then there's pajamas with a a, a a butt flap that's just falling away it's like it's like someone came with a, a tape measure a buttologist and measured just how much of the butt you could show and and still have it like run as an ad on l like they were very <laughs> mathematical about that and now once you've been infected with the butt pajamas it haunts you through the web it's like a cursed ghost and now everywhere <laughs> i go i have butt pajamas like everywhere and so they did a story looking at the ad tech behind this and i am sorry to say just like the movie uh, uh poltergeist or um or insidious like like the the the, the problem is you can leave the house and the ghost will be there in most horror movies. But here, the ad tech has infected you and you can go to a new device. And it's going to figure out your cookie again and it's going to keep ser serving you this ad. So Aww. it's a very sad situation. I am infected by the butt pajama shell. Yeah, yeah. I, I use an tragic. ad blocker, so um, I missed it, but I saw the tweets, and and I have Ugh. seen those ads other places, and I have to say, like, I'm all about the onesie life, y'all, but, like, no. Yeah. No. It's so yeah. interesting, because I got the buttless pajama ads, but the one that, uh, the ad that really stuck with me was the one for uh, an inner ear massager that looks like a rubber Q-tip studded with, like, <laughs> little raised dots, um, anyway, I, I the, think that those the, are bad for you. Like, are, isn't the number one oh, yeah. thing you're that not supposed to, you, like, I mean, they, it like, doesn't stop you, me, but like, don't stick anything in your ear. Like, you're not supposed to put a Q-tip in your ear. Like, that is the thing that like ear doctors tell you, like, don't stick anything in your ear. So an inner ear massager that I'm looking this up now because this just looks like. I think the that. larger point I would like to make is that everyone should stay off Poshmark, Net-A-Porter and eBay. Do not look up dresses from the vampire's wife on those platforms. They're not there. I've looked, so don't bother looking yourself. Um, stay, stay away. Stay away from there. <laughs> or I will stab you <laughs> if you compete with me. 
<laughs> in my quest to obtain a large poofy sleeved dress uh this christmas you will right, such what, a beautiful what, holiday message what, um, simone. Thank what you. size thank simone like if we're if we were do not i'm not even gonna tell you no anyway so christina what are you doing this week well okay i was trying to buy you a dress for christmas but since you're Chris- like refusing you bought me airpods and i love you and i appreciate you but these are like 600 to two thousand dollar dresses yeah i'm seeing that now this is very simone stuff it is there's not a single one of these i see the mini kate dress that i'm loving for you yep yeah the um the Berger christensen one has an open back that makes me lose my mind it's so pretty i love this like 1930s silhouette anyway christina what are you genuinely doing this week okay so like i'm on vacation so you guys i'm like doing nothing it is fantastic i'm literally like ordering taco bell at 11 p.m at night and watching er on um my ipad and um re-watching other series that are streaming or otherwise i'm i'm playing video games i'm doing nothing it is awesome i love this for you um, Rihanna, I, I'm what are still you doing in Georgia? I wish I could celebrate Christmas this year. Like I'll I'll take a couple hours off on Christmas, but uh, you know the Georgia special elections on the fifth. Uh, we are barely barely winning the polls, and you know Trump outperformed the polls this time. So I'm not I don't trust anything. Um, so I'm organizing volunteers to go knock on doors even as Christmas is going on to wow. to keep the efforts going. So. I'm working on all of that while I'm continuing to heal. I can actually slightly walk again now, which I'm very pumped about. And uh, the other thing is uh, I um, I got Frank a 3D printer kit for Christmas, uh, uh, a Prusa uh, 3D printer kit. Uh, the the big Lulzbot uh, TAS workhorse that I bought. Rocket listeners, don't buy this product. Don't <laughs> buy this product. Do not buy this product. It is the, It is such a inconsistent, quirky, non-reliable product that I spent over $2,000 on, don't buy it. Uh, I bought a new 3D printer to make up for that, but I didn't realize uh, just how complicated it is to put together. It's going to take about uh, 8 to 12 hours to assemble this thing. Uh, I'm about six hours into it now, and hopefully I will finish that soon. Good luck, and thank, thank you, you for the work that you are doing. Indeed, thank you very Gotta much. Win. Win. I unfortunately am falling more in the Christina boat where I'm doing nothing. Hell yeah. And it's pretty great. Um, Made a lot of cookies today, and I'm just going to enjoy my quiet holiday before my next video comes out, which now I can say it will. <laughs> Because my paperwork is done. Uh, But I will tell you more about that when it comes out. So finally, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode of Rocket. Where can you find me online? (laughs) Thank you for asking. Doom Quasar on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.com slash Polygon. Christina, what about you? Uh, You can find me um, fighting with uh, Yang Gang people. Why? I don't know. Actually, um, this is what vacation does to me at film underscore girl on the Twitters and the Instagrams. Oh, ho, ho. And Brianna, what about you? Well, if you want to support Rebellion uh, helping win Georgia, uh, helping win the Senate, uh, you can do that at helptherebellion.com. And you can follow uh, me on the Twitter machine at Brianna Wu. All right. 
Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you could give this podcast a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, that's much appreciated. A nice little Christmas gift for us. Other than that, this episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 Terminated.